St. John Chrysostom. St. John Chrysostom is our saint today. Now, it was a very difficult time trying to figure out how exactly I'm going to tackle someone who led a dynamic life and was voluminous in his writings. So, what we've decided to do is we have this little book on St. John Chrysostom, and he talks about marriage and family in a few in a few sermons. And so he does a sermon specifically on Ephesians chapter 5, talking about the relationship between man and woman in Christ and the church. And so Sarah and I are going to pick out our favorite points in the sermon. It's a little bit longer, and I just didn't want you sitting there and hearing me or Sarah just kind of drone on reading from a book forever. So we're going to take out our favorite parts. We've both read the sermon independently, and we've kind of decided um, our highlights. And then we're going to talk about them, and we're going to record them, and make you listen to them. From homily number 20 of St. John Chrysostom. The love of husband and wife is the force that wields society together. Men will take up arms and even sacrifice their lives for the sake of this love. St. Paul would not speak so earnestly about this subject without serious reasons. Why else would he say, Wives, be subject to your husbands, as to the Lord? Because when harmony prevails, the children are raised well, the household is kept in order, and neighbors, friends, and relatives praise the result. Great benefits, both for families and states, are thus produced. When it is otherwise, however, when, when it is otherwise, however, everything is thrown into confusion and turned upside down. When the general of an army, when the generals of an army are at peace with each other, everything proceeds in an orderly fashion. And when they are not, everything is in disarray. Okay, Sarah. <laughs> Hi. Hi. So. so I chose that one. <laughs> yeah. That was at the beginning and it was punchy and it was, it kind of opens up the rest of the sermon and how the dynamic mm -hmm. is going to work out. Mm -hmm. Because talking about marital relations can be touchy. Yeah, well, even in this quote, there's yes. a couple things that I'm like, and okay, you know, are we gonna talk, we're gonna address this one, right? Yeah, and he, <laughs> he comes out of the he comes out of the comes out swinging uh, out of the gate. And I think he's talking about Ephesians chapter five because it it needed to be discussed at that time, mm -hmm. and how Saint Paul's words are to be lived out in the family practically. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Sure. And I think we're just as confused today, and I think that mm -hmm. St. John's words, if we listen to him, we kind of make sure that we're understanding what he has to say, it's going to apply to us, and we're going to benefit just the same as mm -hmm. those first people who heard him so long ago. Mm -hmm. So one of the dynamics that I think is important here, because the majority of this sermon is about husbands and wives, but in that you can't forget about children. Mm -hmm. And I think that he understood the same dynamic that we understood, understand today, that a child will pick up on the, the, the verve of, how they're, of what they're raised in. Mm -hmm. They'll pick up on if that's harmony or not, and you can meet people today and 
by spending time with them, you can kind of get an understanding of the kind of family they're raised in. You know, mm-hmm. people with a temper probably were raised in a tumultuous and, you know, kind of a situation. Mm-hmm. And I think that what he's understanding today is that, you know, we mentor how we were raised and it's how we're programmed. Mm-hmm. And so by saying and making that connection between, you know what, if you're going to have a peaceful, you, you, you have a peaceful family, you'll have a peaceful society. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? Um, yeah, I think you're probably right. Um, he doesn't get into some of that part until later on in the sermon. Like, I feel like at this part, he's still, he's kind of just introducing, like you said, his, before we were rolling his thesis to the mm-hmm. whole thing. I mean, I think there are definitely a lot of challenging things in this sermon. And it's one of the challenging Bible passages about marriage that I think we struggle with and we struggle. I've heard people struggle to give homilies on it. People struggle to like swallow mm-hmm. <laughs> Ephesians 5, is it? Chapter 5. You know, and so... Um, so yeah, but I mean, and maybe we'll get into some of that here later on in the, as we, as we get going, but I mean, we're starting to really see how crazy life out in the world can get when we don't, we don't recognize that basic fact, fact that the Mm -hmm. love of a husband and wife is what welds the world together. It's certainly a global statement, but one that's true. Yeah, well, and I think, yeah, and I think it's easy to kind of look at what's going on right now and be like, oh, like, you know, there's, you know, husbands and wives. People don't even recognize that husbands and wives are what weld the world together. But I also think we need to look at that and not just point out words and go like all these people that aren't making husbands and wives of each other or whatever. Mm. But I think we also need to look at kind of what you're saying is like the love of a husband and wife is what welds society together and look at our own marriages and be like, what kind of love are we welding together here? Mm. Because whatever we do here kind of gets amplified Mm -hmm. for good or ill. Yeah. And I think that it's kind of difficult to see that you, your little, your, um, tiny dysfunctions. Mm-hmm. that you have in your day-to-day life as being amplified into the wired, wider society one way or another. Mm-hmm. I think it's difficult to make that connection, but he's certainly making it here because we amplify our own disarray into our children. Mm-hmm. And they grow up with that, on that frequency. Mm-hmm. Now that's a little bit terrifying. <laughs> oh yeah, But totally. also that our, our holiness can be amplified in our children, hopefully. As well. Oh, totally. It can be, yeah. Because he's talking, he says that he uses the analogy of generals. Mm-hmm. And I like that because I like armies and stuff and fighting. Because <laughs> you're a husband. Because I'm a man. <laughs> um, and so if, and it's an interesting way to look at to uh, a married couple as being two generals. <laughs> it's kind of a yeah. militaristic idea of a family. And I, Well, I actually think he talks about that too later about how, so like obviously the elephant in the room for the ladies who will read this, um, is that like, he talks about wives being subject to their husbands as to the Lord, which is St. Paul actually. Not, and what does that mean? And what does it mean for your husband to be your, 
your head of your family <laughs> and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And some of that's really touchy. I think in the culture that we live in, we're raised for our sort of ha- ha- hackles, shackles, hackles to raise at like this kind of language. Um, but I, and so like at first when I was reading this in the first couple pages, like I'm having as a woman, like I'm having this reaction, but I was also like, okay. And then he gets into the other part of it too. The husband's mm-hmm. part, which I think is really important. Um, so anyway, I just wanted to say if anybody reads this, we might cover some of that here as we're talking, but also like try to read it all the way through with an open heart and don't just like. I don't know, read the first couple of pages and go, what? My husband's supposed to be an army general. Anyway, and so, but what one of the things he clarifies a little further down in this paragraph is kind of this concept of, like, how our role in serving our wife or our husband, like, in whatever way he's, he's outlining, there's kind of two different ways that we do that, depending on whether you're with the wife or the husband, but that... You're doing it as love and as service to your Lord, as service to the Lord. And so um, that can be really challenging and maybe even harder in another way. I don't know. Um, But um, yeah, but that harmony is just so important. And I don't think he's saying to just keep the peace at all costs, even when it's like unhealthy. I think he's saying that no. you should be striving together to create, like, true harmony, not, mm-hmm. like, the appearance of it. Mm-hmm. So the next quote goes, Paul begins this passage by saying, Be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. If your spouse doesn't obey God's love, God's law, pardon me, you are not excused. A wife should respect her husband even when he shows her no love (laughs) and a husband should love his wife, even when she shows him no respect, then they will both be found to lack nothing since each has fulfilled the commandment given to him. This then is what it means to marry in Christ. (laughs) That's insane. And it's not fair at all. Even if there's no equality there, your spouse doesn't hold up their end of the bargain. Essentially. Yes. You still need to hold up your, your end. And I think, I was thinking about how I've heard homilies before that have even said, well, this all sounds very intense, but as long as you pick a good husband and he's your, you have to be subject to him or he has to be the head of the family, as long as he's a good man, then it's not unreasonable because somebody has to be Mm. in charge. And you're like, well, no, everyone's a sinner. Everyone's going to have times where they're a jerk or they're mm. tired or grumpy. And like, actually to think about this. Mm-hmm. And I think we have such a culture of like self-care and boundaries, which are really important. Mm. But I have a hard time. Like, how do you navigate that? Yeah. Right. Well, I think one of the problems is, is we've, this is going to sound awful <laughs> at first, okay. but we've given in to the language of equality. Now, this criticism doesn't just come from me. I heard it from, there's a good video series that the Vatican put out called Humanum. And in one of the videos, there was some are like Argentinian philosopher, Mm -hmm. and he's talking about equality and Mm -hmm. it being a mathematical term. I mean, Uh, one person being equal to another is such a, a weird 
and very kind of vertical, not horizontal way of judging worth. And it's reductionist. It's very reductionist. It's like, I will be as valuable as the next person is valuable. And in exactly the same ways. And so when I'm (laughs) reading, and when, when we're reading this homily, it's like, sure, the man is the head of the household, but also in that first bit, it says that men will go to war and die for the sake of love. Mm-hmm. That's not an equal relationship. That no. I will go to war and die for the sake of you. There is no expectation in this that you would do the same for me. So immediately that world of equality is kind of turned on its head. Mm-hmm. Where we don't have... Um, we don't have roles that are proportional to each. They're proportional to our relationship with God. Mm-hmm. We have a vertical way of understanding who we are as creatures mm-hmm. and what, how our roles divide, uh, uh, derive vertically, mm-hmm. you know, between us and God mm-hmm. and what we're created to be. Mm-hmm. Where the world would say it's horizontal, that there's some kind of a social contract that we can all get together and sign up on and that we're all treated equally, but... But equally meaning the same, not meaning... Yeah. The thing is, we're all different. Mm-hmm. Like, I, there, there's no way that um, you could be expected to do something as equal as I can, or me, or, or like have those rules <laughs> reversed. You know, like there are some skills and qualities that Sarah, you have that I will never be able to reproduce. Like if you tried to write a song. Like if I tried to write a song, <laughs> it'll, it'll be, I will rip off ABBA, you know, to try to write a good song. Whereas um, if I try to make a, a crazy French provincial winter stew, it'll be okay. Not, it'll be okay. It'll, it won't blow anyone's socks off. No. If Bill makes it, it'll blow socks off. Yes. Yeah, like, keep your shoes let's on. Let's be real. Yeah. <laughs> but, um... So it's like automatically yeah. that there, that those... That language of equality doesn't suit who we actually are if we're talking about ourselves in a Christian anthropology. Mm-hmm. Because everyone is so individualized and dynamic, though we do live in a whole. But we are we are so... We are so absolutely different and we are so varied from one another and we are created with a spirit, a soul that is, that is indigenous to us. Mm-hmm. And that has value on its own terms and on God's terms. And I will have value even if there's no one else in the world to be equalized to. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's the kind of main criticism that I would have for when we're thinking about equality today. Mm-hmm. No, I can't be on the same playing field as everyone else. There is always going to be someone better at me than something. So there's, all, there's this natural inequality in the world. But you know what? I will have infinite value no matter what because who I am created by. Yeah, and we're, we're not... And I, I think that's kind of what he's saying, because he has another part where he's saying, like, the husband is the head, as the head is to the body. And he's saying, like, you you take care of your body because you kind of just, you wouldn't even think of not, right? Mm-hmm. Of not caring for it because mm-hmm. it is yourself. Yes. And so when you think about it that way, it's not like he's this head judge sitting up there going, bah, 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 you know, it's like everything he does that hurts his body, he feels. Absolutely. He suffers 
when he and stubs his metric toe or is whatever. Jesus in mm-hmm. his is marriage to the church. Okay, so and so oh you have something yeah, to say. About so this. Like, yeah. Where I was trying to get bring it back to. So the first part was this quote, like, yeah, that you have to do this even if your spouse doesn't hold up their end of the deal. And then if you do that, you'll be found wanting nothing, right? And it's like, oh, like that's what you need to go before the great tribunal, having being able to say, like, that's tough. But it says, um okay, so he's talking um He's playing, how does this play out for the husband, right? Um, Even if it becomes necessary for you to give your life for her, yes, and even to endure and undergo suffering of any kind, do not refuse. Even though you undergo all this, you will never have done anything equal to what Christ has done. You are sacrificing yourself for someone to whom you are already joined, but he offered himself up for the one who turned her back on him and hated him. Even if you see her, meaning your wife, belittling you or despising you and mocking you, still you will be able to subject yourself through affection, kindness, and your great regard for her. And then, sorry, there's a little bit in there. And then whatever kind of wife you marry, you will never take a bride like Christ did when he married the church. You will never marry anyone estranged from you as the church was from Christ. Despite all this, did he, um, he did not abhor or hate her for her extraordinary corruption. He sacrificed himself for her in her corrupted state, as if she were in the bloom of youth, as if she were dearly beloved and a wonderful beauty. You're not as bad as the church. <laughs> like, no matter what. <laughs> Sarah. You're not as bad. Oh, you're saying that to me? I'm saying that to you, um, yeah. <laughs> but it's hard, like... I mean, honestly, it's a struggle. Yeah. And because so because, just, yeah. because Jesus is the metric here. I think when we understand that the maybe I'm putting words in the women's mouth right now, mouths, when Jesus is the metric, when Jesus is the, the ideal for the husband, like for me, I have no problem saying that I have submitted myself to Christ. Mm-hmm. I have no problem mm-hmm. with, because I know that he loves me. Mm-hmm. Because I know that Jesus is the one who is faithful, mm-hmm. even when I'm not faithful. There's that MXPX song that's like, um, oh shoot, I can't actually quote it right now. Uh, just know this, that God is faithful even when you don't have faith yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a throwback to the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Anyways, it's really easy to submit yourself to someone who is, who is not only perfect, but loves you perfectly. Yeah. And I think that maybe that <laughs> is where there's like a block and where it's, where you might think it's unfair because it's like, it's easy to submit yourself to Jesus who is awesome. Yeah. But then there's Bill who's a doofus. Who was it? Oh, Yes, sorry, yes. I'm <laughs> doing that. That thing where I just agree with something and so I just keep talking. It's the thing I do. Instead of saying, yes, good point. Yeah. And furthermore, and furthermore. anyway, <laughs> um, there was a sister that I was talking to at one point, and she was saying, somebody was asking her if she ever if it was ever a struggle to not get married. And she's like, well, at first, cause you always thought you would, or maybe you'd have kids and those were things you have to, mm. you know, discern through. And, and, and she said, but now I'm just like, 
I'm married to Jesus. He's perfect and he can love me perfectly. She's like, I feel sorry for all of the rest of you. People who get married, marry like a super flawed human person who's basically just fumbling around in the dark trying to love them. Priests are married to the church. And like, we've just heard about the <laughs> the corrupted state. The, the church doesn't the have church much going for it. And she's like, <laughs> but I have the best deal. And I just thought that was so adorable. Someone's so in love with their their vocation and their savior. And, and a nun should be, right? But, um, and I was like, dang it, I picked the wrong. And you I did. didn't. You did. No, if it's a, just it's I picked an the tougher, oh, arguably. Yeah. Yep. I don't know that that's actually true. Probably. It is actually true. Yeah. No, it's absolutely true. We're talking about Christ. Yeah. So you did get so the she might she really crap deal. Thinks, I don't remember which which sister that was. Now though, I remember the conversation very clearly. It sounds anyway, like sister sister Petra, or maybe somebody was telling me about it, and then I had it again afterwards. Anyway, but yeah, it might have been my spiritual director, but anyway, and so <laughs> and so I was like, dude, you did pick the best deal. Anyway, side tangent. Well, not really. But, it's not. Nuns. You know, you know all this. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, if there's any ladies out there who are thinking about it, just know If you're that- looking at your boyfriend right now, <laughs> he hasn't popped the question yet. And he's like, yeah, he's popping it's more zits than he is questions. <laughs> then it's you, not you know too what? late. It's ladies. not too late. You Dump can marry him. the perfect man still. Marry the Lord of the universe. Yeah. Anyway, anything else to say about even if your spouse doesn't hold up the oh, end of the deal? Man. Well, I mean, good we know thing this. I married this... a spouse who always keeps up her end of the bargain, <laughs> and so it's always fair. Yeah, and it's we always... have a super great time with this part. Yeah, totally. We actually have a really hard time with this part. Absolutely. Just in case anyone's not catching this. Right yeah, because we've to- I've totally bought into the whole fair thing. If she's not being fair with me, then, then... I have no. Okay, so, folks. You don't get off the hook if your spouse, apparently, according to St. John Chrysostom, even if your spouse doesn't hold up their end of the deal. I think the next quote's yours, Bill. This next quote is near the end of the sermon, and it goes like this. Tell her that you love her more than your own life, because this present life is nothing, and that your only hope is is that the two of you pass through this life in such a way that in the world to come, you will be united in perfect love. Say to her, our time here is brief and fleeting, but if we are pleasing to God, we can exchange this life for the kingdom to come. Then we will be perfectly one both with Christ and each other, and our pleasure will know no bounds." I value your love above all things, and nothing would be so bitter or painful to me as our being at odds with each other. Even if I lose everything, any affliction is tolerable if you will be true to me. Show her that you value her company and prefer being at home to being out. Esteem her in the presence of your friends and children. Praise and show admiration for her good acts. And if she ever does anything foolish, advise her patiently. Pray together at home and go to church. 
When you come back home, let each ask the other the meaning of the readings and the prayers. If you are overtaken by poverty, remember Peter and Paul, who were more honored than kings or rich men, though they spent their lives in hunger and thirst. Remind one another that nothing in life is to be feared except offending God. If your marriage is like this, your perfection will rival the holiest of monks. So, so that's deadly. <laughs> I'm not sure what that noise means except that. <laughs> Fainting. So I think why I chose this. I'll explain why I chose this. Mm-hmm. It's because I have preconceived notions in my head of how to become holy. And they often mimic the lifestyle of monks. You know, like I see a monk as someone who is like super holy. They pray all the time. And I need to figure out how to be a monk in my own home and in my own family. And I need to keep the hours, you know, or something like that or pray constantly. And you do pray constantly and you can keep the hours. However, your monastic lifestyle will primarily be lived, and this is what I am learning, in and through loving your wife. And in in and through being a family that focuses themselves on God. And this is where this re-education is kind of taking place for me when I'm reading this homily. It's that through loving you, mm-hmm. through talking with you and being with you and loving you among, before all things, that is the place where my soul will become deified. It would be become through helping you become holy. You're my monastery. I'm your monastery. Mm-hmm. And you're my monastery. Yeah, I guess it would work both ways. <laughs> Theoretically. In yeah. theory. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, he also says somewhere that the... I don't know if it was in this because I kind of got into John Chrysostom and then I was reading other homilies in this book. But, I mean, we all know, like, we talk about the family as the domestic church. Mm-hmm. And so there's elsewhere where he talks about that little... That monastic nature that family and life can have. Mm-hmm. But anything else about this quote you want to say? No, I think I said a lot. Okay. Okay, so the last quote we picked, he's talking to the husband again. It's actually interesting how much of this is addressed to the husband. but And the quote goes like this. Teach her, meaning the wife, to fear God, and all other good things will flow from this one lesson as from a fountain. Your house will be filled with 10,000 blessings. If we seek the things that are perfect, the secondary things will follow. The Lord says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. What sort of person do you think the children of such parents will be? What kind of person are all the others who associate with them? Will they not eventually be the recipients of countless blessings as well? For generally the children acquire the character of their parents, are formed in the mold of their parents' temperament, love the same things as their parents, love, talk in the same fashion, and work for the same ends. If we order our lives in this way and diligently study the scriptures, we will find lessons to guide us in everything we need. So, yeah, I think that one hits um, 
hits me a lot right now, you know, and just if you are seeking elsewhere, he says, if you seek virtue first, the other things will, will not exactly fall into place, but sort of, you know, and I think that that's the great mission, I think, of husbands and wives, like as parents and that's kind of what you were saying at the beginning, that he's kind of getting at this whole way that this being the force that welds society together and this being the thing that has great power to amplify in our culture. Do you have anything to say about Well, you know what, actually, just thinking about this right now, I remember being in a restaurant once and overhearing the conversation of women at the table next to me. Now I was, it was, I was just slightly raised up on like a, a, a taller floor, like kind of like a mezzanine type oh, yeah. thing. Yeah. And so they were like literally right beside me mm-hmm. and they were probably younger than me at the time. And they were talking about friends that they had friends who had gotten married and how the marriage didn't work out and they ended up getting divorced. And the example they gave as to why they were so different, why they, they couldn't be together is because how they, when they went to Mexico, one of them wanted to go out to do things and the other was happy with just sitting down and reading on the beach. Oh no. And it's just like, what a shallow existence yeah. to be living. Well, we would be done for. <laughs> we would be done for. This is precisely our dynamic. I also I like am... to sit on the beach and read, but like I last way less time than Bill does. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And when we're thinking about, like thinking about that in isolation as like uh, in a, a thought experiment, like say, I don't know these people, but let's just pretend that we do. Mm-hmm. What are the things that kind of guide their lives in order to make decisions like this? What are the kind of things that, that are important to them that would inspire such a decision in their lives? Mm-hmm. When we are in a marriage that seeks to have fidelity to Christ and to worship Christ through the marriage, we're not going to worry about certain proclivities of you know, innocent, benign proclivities of our, like our husbands you, and wives. Like you like steak, I like salad, or yeah, hypothetically. It's just a dumb example. And so one night you have steak, <laughs> the other night you have salad. Or maybe you'd never have steak again. You know, <laughs> you just love your wife and eat the salad and grit, you, you know? the salad for the souls in purgatory and for your wife's soul. Sure. Yeah. But there is so much more in life than merely the activities we have. Yeah. Or the, the interests we have. Interest-based relationships are doomed, mm-hmm. I think. Oh, that's so interesting because we were just looking at, um, separately outside of this, we were just talking about Alice von Hildebrand, who we shall introduce later at some point, I'm sure, in full. But she has a crazy quote about how like we know our society's bonkers because we've made everything that is impermanent important. Mm. And everything that is permanent, unimportant, like our souls yeah, <laughs> and church and, you know, prayer and then things like money and food and fashion. Like you and I are so different. Or impermanent. Yeah. Like we have such different interests. 
So it makes me think of you and I, because we don't really have many interests in common. Like, we like music, but we like different kinds of music. Mm -hmm. We like movies, but most of the time we like different kinds of movies. Uh It's very hard for us to land on a show sometimes (laughs) or, you know, something like that, just because you and me, um, what piques our interest is completely different from each other. Mm -hmm. Um, What I... But what we do have that unites our relationship is is Jesus. We have this conviction that we need to worship Christ with our lives in in and through the sacrament that we've united together and that we found that each other will bring us to doing that ever more perfectly. I can't imagine being in a relationship with someone because we like soccer <laughs> or because I don't know. Well, no. Yeah. Volleyball. It'll never bring your relationship further than the thing that you're interested in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a global statement. <laughs> I was going to say, strong I, words for both extra I, I, I don't know if that's true or not. But, but let's say that it's true for the sake of this I think podcast. it is, though. Like, I, I mean, I think, um, obviously, uh, people have... Sometimes that can be a starting point is things that you have in common. Certainly, we're not saying don't go on a date with someone who, with whom you have things in common. <laughs> Certainly investigate that. But you need to have that, that goal. Otherwise, I mean, yeah. Otherwise, you're probably, anyway, doomed. And you certainly may not amplify countless blessings of God into the culture and society and family in which you live. Let's wrap this up. Next one. Last one. This is the last. This was the last one. Let me just look here. Okay. So he says, if we order our lives in this way and diligently study the scriptures, we will find lessons to guide us in everything we need. In this way, we will be able to please God and to pass through the course of this life in virtue and to gain those blessings which he has promised to those who love him, of which God willing may be counted worthy through the grace and love for mankind of our Lord Jesus Christ, with whom together with the Holy Spirit be glory, honor, and power to the Father, now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. Amen. And that's how he ends it. So, I have a question. Can I, have, can I see the book? Yeah. And I just want to see where he says it. It's interesting, because he talks about diligently studying the scriptures as this ingredient to a successful marriage. Yeah. And I want, what scripture passage have you read that has helped you in our marriage? Oh, big loaded question with boop, no, boop, boop. no time and to think about it. if we need to pause it, we can. Um, you know, recently, the one that keeps coming up, recently and lately is a humble and contrite heart oh lord you will not despise you will not spurn depending on the translation because i think just the big one for me is like not getting defensive is the biggest thing that i need to work on and not being like yeah well you did this so blah blah, blah. you know basically exactly what he's talking about even if your wife or even if your husband does not love you you have no excuse, right? And, and like, that's actually just something I'm bad at, you know? And uh, that scripture passage came up 
in relation to um, my grandfather passed away recently. And for some reason that kept coming up um, as we were praying for him and asking God for mercy on his soul. And, and I started to take it and apply it to myself after a couple days. <laughs> and I just keep thinking about that and I'm not good. I'm not, I can't say I've I could tell you what the fruits of that are yet, except that I know I need to like learn what that really means or how to, Hmm. how about you? Uh, it comes from Matthew 15 and I was able to look it up as you were talking. So thanks. (laughs) The things that come out of the mouth come from the heart. And so I think that in our relationship, the things that you misspeak to your spouse, yeah, the things that, you say and don't mean, or the things that you say in regret. Yeah, or you say them and you're like, oh gosh, I might mean there's that and I gotta thing, work on that. Yeah. There's this thing about marriage that tells you who you really are. <laughs> and oftentimes it's you telling you who you really are. <laughs> and it's a very convicting thing to be to be in, the, in a relationship with someone so close and so... Um, furnished with prayer and tilled with the sacraments that brings all of that out, all of your insecurities Mm -hmm. in a safe way. Now, I don't want to talk (laughs) about safe spaces and stuff like that. Doesn't always feel safe. It's true, though. It's true. (laughs) It doesn't matter, Sarah. What I'm trying to say (laughs) is that your marriage is a safe place for your nonsense and your ugliness to come out. Mm-hmm. If it is if it is supported and fed by communion and the sacraments mm-hmm. and prayer. Mm-hmm. No one else has that. What what a gift that is. Yeah. I mean, we have a society that's seeking out safe spaces and, you know, um and there are places where you're not in conflict with the world, but, and I think this is where marriage and monasticism really kind of comes hand in hand, is that what monasticism is, is not like a shunning away from the world, but a complete conflict with your own evil, mm-hmm. with your own nonsense. And in a marriage, it's completely the same. Mm-hmm. And I think when I'm thinking about that, even going back to our, our talk about how, um, or his point about how, a family that lives in harmony is one that will rival the holiness of monks. I think that's where it, how it yeah. works out because there are no other places in life to my knowledge that those things can come out lest you pay hundreds of bucks to a psychologist. <laughs> yeah. And that to me is the real clincher. Cause in a lot of friendships, well, not all of them. Hopefully everyone has a couple really great ones. Mm. But in a lot of friendships, if some of that stuff really started to come out, you'd probably just like put some distance there for a while. Oh, totally. You know, you know what? what? I and have, that might even be right. I have some close friends and I have no real obligation to spend any time with them. <laughs> and if they get weird, I can get going. But I'm your monastery. But so you're my monastery. <laughs> And so, yeah, I think that's what I'm realizing in the moment right now. Yeah, as you're talking it as out. As I'm talking it that's out. That's great. 
And I'm going... Usually I'm the one realizing things as I'm saying them. You usually have it figured out before it comes out of your mouth. Typically, I would also bring this to prayer first. <laughs> and not into a microphone. Shall we pray the trobar? Yeah, let's pray the trobar. Pass me that book. Alright. I read this this morning and I was just like, we have to. We have to. Okay. The trobar for the... Feast of our Holy Father John Chrysostom, Archbishop of Constantinople. The grace that shines like a torch from your mouth has enlightened the universe, bestowed treasures of generosity upon the world, and shown us the depth of your humility. While you teach us by your words, O Holy Father, pray to the word, Christ our God, that he may save our souls. And the Kantakian? O blessed and holy John Chrysostom, from heaven you received divine grace, and from your lips we all learn to worship one God in the Trinity. It is proper that we praise you, for you are indeed a teacher revealing the things of God. Amen. Amen. St. John Chrysostom. Pray to God for us. Mm-hmm.